So glad today to welcome you to the Carter Report. I want to welcome our audience across North America and our viewers right around the world, including the Middle East, all through Europe, Russia, down into Africa. Thank you so much for joining us today. My topic is the demon in the bottle. This is one of the most powerful meetings I will ever present. And before I do so, I want to introduce somebody who is very special to us, special to me, and that is my wife, Beverly. Would you please welcome her today? Happy Sabbath, everyone. How do you like my happy face bag? Isn't it cute? I saw it in a supermarket the other day and I thought, I've just got to have that to take up some of my, I could use it for my illustrations. And I have something in it which I'm going to show you in a moment or two. Back in 1850, during the California gold rush, a young man came from Bavaria to San Francisco and with him he brought many rolls of canvas. Now he believed that he would be able to sell this canvas to the gold miners to build tents and then from the profits he himself would go gold digging. But something happened to change his mind. On his way towards the Sierra Nevada mountains he bumped into an old gold miner and he explained to him, the young man explained to him what he intended to do. Well, the wise old gold miner said to him, it won't work. That's not what we need. Nobody will buy your canvas for tents. And the young man believed in prayer and he sent up a silent prayer as he continued to listen to the old gold miner. And in his words he said, you should have brought pants. That's what we need durable pants. Pants don't wear worth a hoot up there in the diggings. Can't get a pair strong enough. Well, right then, the young man from Bavaria had another idea. He would make those ca that canvas into pants, blue pants, because the canvas happened to be blue, and they would survive the rigors of the gold mining camps. He had a harness maker reinforced the pockets with copper studs to make them strong. And you know, they sold like hot cakes. And of course, the young man's name was Mr. Levi Strauss. And the name of the pants, well, they just had to be Levi's. And many of you probably have a pair. And you know, over 900 million, perhaps a billion, by now have been sold around the world. Now what can we learn from this lesson or from this story? Be prepared as we go along in life to have some of our plans changed. Many of us have had that happen to us already, haven't we? I know I have. Now this may not have to do with our jobs. It could concern our relationships. It might have to do with our health. God may want us to eat better, to exercise more so that we'll live longer. It might, have to, it might be in the area of buying a car or a house. We think that that house over there might be the best one when God has something else in mind. And so in, many, in all areas of our lives, we can be going in a certain direction which we think is right. And all of a sudden, God will create or allow a situation to arise that will turn us in another and much better direction. Another lesson we can learn from Mr. Levi, when you see a need, fill it. Now, in a financial sense, many Americans have done just that. They've seen a need and they've made lots and lots of money. And there's nothing wrong in being rich as long as we don't selfishly spend it all on ourselves. But you know, most of us won't become multimillionaires like Mr. Levi Strauss, will we? However, I think in a simple but just as important way, we all can make a difference for the better in this old world. We can begin in our homes with a child or a spouse that, who might need encouragement 
or who might need some help with a special project. It might be in our workplace, in the church, in the community. It might even be in school, young people. Always be alert to those around you to see the needs. And you know, don't wait for somebody else because often that somebody else doesn't appear. And we should just step up to the plate, as they say, and do it ourselves. So let's use our God-given initiative to take hold of every opportunity that, take, that comes along to speak good things and to do good things. For blessed are those who live to make the world a better place. Here in these great United States of America, we have some 290 million people with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of churches, thousands of churches in Los Angeles alone. But I can take you to a land that's the same size in population, 290 million people, with virtually no Christian influence and very, very few Christian churches. How do I know? Because I've been there 23 times. I've traveled from St. Petersburg to Moscow, 6,000 miles across the broad bosom of that land to Vladivostok. And one thing stands out in my mind, the lack of Christian churches, the lack of preachers to preach the everlasting gospel. That's why I'm going back the 24th time. Going back there in the month of June, and by the grace of God, taking a team from Australia and Canada and these great United States of America. And this time we're going to the city of Kharkov. You say, Kharkov? Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either until very recently. Kharkov, it is a city of 1.6 million people in the north of Ukraine. It is typical of that part of the world. Great cities with millions of people who've never had an opportunity to hear the preaching of the everlasting gospel. I'm asking you, be my prayer partner. Pray and give for the campaign in Kharkov. It commences June 8th. It's going to go for a full month every night of the week. And we believe hundreds of thousands of people are going to come to a knowledge of God. Let me ask you something. What is the value of a human soul? Pray for the ex-Soviet Union. Pray for Kharkov. The topic today is the demon in the bottle. I want you to notice some texts firstly. We talk about alcohol. Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 20. You'll find Bibles in the seats in front of you. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 for a start. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. To the words of the wise man. The Bible says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Come now to chapter 23, verse 31 and 32. Chapter 23, verse 31 and 32. God speaking through the prophet said, Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Because of my Australian background, I've seen lots and lots of snakes. I've worked in the outback of Australia. I've seen lots and lots of poisonous snakes. I've seen the taipang, perhaps the most deadly snake in the world. Many, many times more venomous than any snake in North America. I've killed snakes. I've put my hand in to a spot thinking I was going to grab hold of some paper and grabbed a snake by the tail. 
had to pull out, come out after me. The Bible says, in the end, it bites like a snake. Today we're going to consider the whole question of alcohol. Many people believe, many folks, perhaps the majority of folks who go to churches, believe that moderate drinking is the way to go. And they quote, as an example, our Lord. We shall talk about that as we go along. Today, by the grace of God, I'm going to give you the plain, unvarnished truth about what alcohol is doing to men and women right here in North America. These facts, I believe, will amaze you. But firstly, I want to give you some stories from the past. I want you to turn to the book of Genesis. I want you to notice some of these amazing stories from the very beginning of time. Stories from the past about men and women who drank the fermented juice of the vine. Stories from the word of God. Would you please come with me to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20 and onwards. This is the first time that alcohol is mentioned in the Bible. Genesis chapter 9 Verse 20 and onwards, the first time alcohol is mentioned in the scriptures. The Bible says, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. Interesting story. The first time alcohol is mentioned. The man who survived the flood could not survive alcohol. He disgraced himself and brought a curse upon his son. It is not a very good introduction and recommendation for alcohol. The next story is found a few pages over Genesis chapter 19 and verse 30 and onwards. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 30 and onwards in the Bible. This is the story of the man who had escaped from Sodom. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the younger daughter said to the, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine, then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. This is the second story. It is a story of alcohol, and it is a story of incest. As some of you folks know, I'm somewhat a, a fan of Winston Churchill, this great man who has been declared the man, the greatest man of the 20th century. His father had a most unfortunate experience. His father was Lord 
Randolph Churchill, as some of you know. He became one of the leading political figures in Britain. But when he was a young man going, I think it was, to Oxford College, of course, all the students there, like students today in our universities, virtually every person, every student drank alcohol. At one night, they got Lord Randolph Churchill blind drunk. When they got him drunk, he was like Lot. He did not know when he was lying down when he was getting up. They put him to bed, and then the students, for a prank, went and found a prostitute. And a prostitute who was filled with every type of venereal disease that you can imagine. She slept with Lord Randolph Churchill, and when he woke in the morning, there she was. He caught either gonorrhea or syphilis that plagued him for the rest of his life and caused him to go, as time went by, mentally incompetent, and which took his life as a very, very young man. So here you have the story of Lot and alcohol. The third story I want you to notice is found in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, and verses 1 to 6. We come down the millenniums. Over here to the book of Daniel, where there is another reference to alcohol. Daniel, and of course, I'm not exhausting all of the passages. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1 and onwards. The Bible says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The last night of Babylon, the king was drunk. All the lords and the ladies were drunk. And when he was drunk, he did something that was so blasphemous and so presumptuous, it would be difficult to believe that he would have done this wicked act if he had been sober. He asked that the sacred vessels from the Hebrew temple be brought into the banquet hall and they filled them with wine. And when those golden goblets were desecrated by the wine, God sent forth a, a hand, like a human hand, though it were not. It appeared to be a human hand, but it was the hand of God. And the hand wrote on the wall, Meni, Meni, Tekel, Eupharsin, you were found in the balances, weighed in the balances, you were found wanting. That night, the blood of the king mingled with the wine of the banquet hall. This is hardly a very good recommendation. He disgraced himself, he destroyed his kingdom. There's not too much in these verses so far to recommend alcohol. There is much to condemn. When I read through my Bible, I find that the Bible is filled with strong words of condemnation against the demon. The greatest drug problem that is facing the world and facing the United States of America is not cocaine. It is not marijuana. It is the demon in the bottle, which is socially acceptable because virtually all of us have been brainwashed by the media. 
I want you to notice some of the warnings against intoxicating drinks. Would you come over here to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5. And that is a little book after the book of Daniel, at least in that area. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5. And notice how God describes alcoholic beverages. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 5, the Bible says, See, wine betrays him. His desires are not upright. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. I want to say to you today, if you are a social drinker, the time is going to come sooner than later when wine is going to betray you. Would you notice Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16? Now some of you were still searching, so let me give you a moment. Habakkuk chapter 2, 15 and 16. The Bible says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and your disgrace will cover your glory. I've had folks who have joined this church and this is a church that has taken a complete stand against alcohol. 100%. And I've had folks I've baptized come to me and they say, look, I've got all of these liquors, all of these expensive wines. What shall I do with them? Shall I give them to my neighbors because they will drink this stuff and what a dreadful waste it would be to destroy it. The Bible says there is a curse upon a man who gives a drink of alcohol to his neighbor. On the authority of the word of the Lord, I would say to you, if you have alcohol in your home, take out the cork and pour it down the sink or some other more appropriate place. There's a curse upon the man who gives his neighbor drink. Would you come now to Deuteronomy chapter 32? This is such a strong passage. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verses 32 and 33. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 32 and 33. And listen to the words of Almighty God from the Pentateuch. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Would you come back now to the book of Proverbs, dear friend? If this is not strong enough for you, come to Proverbs 31, 4 and 5. Notice the words of the wise man, my beloved friends. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 4 and 5. And when I read this verse, I'm glad we have a president who has sworn off alcohol. The Bible says, Proverbs 31, 4 and 5, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine. It doesn't say do it in moderation. It says not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the Lord decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. The Bible says a leader should never, never touch alcohol because it will blind his mind and lead him to something dreadful. 
Now, by the grace of God, I want to give you an idea of what alcohol is doing to men, women, and children. I want humbly and respectfully to present to you the great arraignment against the breweries, Budweiser, and all of these companies that are living on the blood of millions. I want to give you the awful facts. I want to unmask society's greatest enemy, the greatest enemy that society faces is alcohol. Let me give you some facts before I start on the great arraignment. Beer, as you know, is fermented from grains. It contains 3 to 6% of alcohol. Wine is 12 to 14%. Fortified wine, which means it's boosted, is 18 to 20%. Wine coolers, made up of fruit juice and alcohol, 7%. Liquor, which is distilled from alcohol, is 40 to 50% pure alcohol. Here are facts I'm going to give you now from the Scientific American Journal. This is not a religious journal. No, no, no. These are simply facts. But I want to say to the audience that is watching on television today, that here in the Western world, in America and in Australia, we are the willing victims of mind manipulation. And we look at television ads and we believe what we see. We are manipulated in exactly the same way as the communists manipulated people with brainwashing. But there's no washing about it. Let me give to you the awful facts every parent ought to listen as they have never listened before. The year 1996 is the latest I can get. But in 1996, 109 million Americans over 12 were drinkers. 109 million over 12. Because through the example of their parents and their teachers and their ministers, children are starting when they're children. 109 million are drinkers, most adults. 32 million, 32 million are binge drinkers. That means they drink five drinks at a time. 36 million. 11 million in America are heavy drinkers. Remember that when you're driving to church. As we were driving into church today, there was a crazy in a car cutting in and out, almost ran into us, careering down the highway. Most likely, he is drunk. Most likely, he goes to church. 9.5 million drinkers are 12 to 20 years. Almost 10 million people in the United States of America between the age of 12 and 20 are serious drinkers. There are between, and these figures are conservative, because how do they really find out? 14 or 15 million Americans are alcoholics. 14 million Americans are alcoholics. Who is an alcoholic? A very sick person, but sick because of a very bad choice. A person who is in a sense of denial. A man who can waste all of his income and let his children starve. That is an alcoholic. 
a person who is utterly unreliable, irresponsible, filled with guilt. Fourteen million. Six point three percent of all men in America are alcoholics. Six point three. Two point six percent of all women are alcoholics. The costs of alcohol to the economy, and these figures are tremendously conservative and possibly glossed over because many of the lawmakers are drunks. But the cost to the United States of America every year is $148,000 million. That means you could take a billion people in this hungry world and give to a billion people $148 worth of food. This is every year. $148,000 million. Now, these figures are conservative, conservative, conservative. They may be many times higher. But every year in the United States of America, 107,000 people die because of the demon in the bottle. And what a church is saying about it? Next to nothing. What a preacher is saying about it? Next to nothing. Because they're drinking themselves. Any minister who drinks alcohol, ought to resign. Whether he's a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Roman Catholic priest or a Seventh-day Adventist, any man who is a member of the cloth ought to cease being a hypocrite and resign. If he touches alcohol... And I will give you strong reasons I haven't started yet. This country has declared war on terrorism. No, it hasn't. At the World Trade Center, there were 3,000 awful deaths. None of us will ever get over it. When we sat and watched 3,000 people destroyed through terrorism. But listen, there's a terrorist in this country with the blessing of the churches and the government that is a million times worse than bin Laden. It's the demon in the bottle. Every 10 days in the United States of America, the number of people who died in the Twin Towers, that is repeated every 10 days. Could you imagine the uproar if in Los Angeles 3,000 die and 10 days later, another 3,000 die in, in Dallas, another 10 days later, 3,000 die in Washington. That's what's happening. Why aren't you told? One of the reasons is that the leaders are too drunk to know it or care or they're feathering their own nests. There is no curse. There is no terrorist worse than the demon in the bottle. And some of the greatest offenders today of alcohol are the preachers. They do not have the spirit of God, they have the spirit of the demon in them. Every 10 days as many as died in New York died from alcohol. Look at the curse in the name of God. Look at the curse. 54% of murders, alcohol. 52% of rapes, alcohol. 68% of manslaughters, alcohol. 48% of robberies, alcohol. Every year in the United States, 40,000 birth defects because of mothers who drink. 
What an accursed thing. And also, conservatively speaking, 41% of traffic accidents, alcohol. In the United States of America, the same as in Australia, and I guess the rest of the Western world, but these are statistics for America. Be the same in other places. Much worse in Russia. Look at Russia. Look at Russia. A nation whose population is going back. The men are becoming infertile. Russia's population is going back because everybody believes in vodka. Almost everybody. Look what it's done to the nation. I say, look what it's doing to America. Seven out of ten adults in America drink. Now listen to this. Now this is going to give you a stunner. And here it comes. One in seven drinkers is an alcoholic. One in seven drinkers is an alcoholic. One in seven drinkers is an alcoholic. And there is strong evidence that it could be caused by genetics. Now, listen to this. Studies have shown that if you take identical twins, the babies of alcoholics... And if you adopt them out to other parents who don't drink, those babies are still three times more likely to become alcoholics. They haven't found the gene, but the Bible talks in Exodus 20 about visiting the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. One in seven drinkers is an alcoholic and one in seven people who start to drink, one in seven is destined to become an alcoholic. One in seven. Now listen to this, please. A minister, a doctor, a parent has a tremendous example. Think of your example. I want you to turn over here to Romans 14. I'm going to give you an argument. You can argue about some texts until the cows come home. But you can't argue about this one. Romans 14 verse 7. I challenge you to argue with this argument. Romans 14 verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. Verse 21, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. I wonder how many here would be prepared to play Russian roulette. I've had parents, professing Christians, say to me, we disagree with you 100%. We are teaching our children moderate drinking. I want to say to you, you are playing Russian roulette with your kids. I want you to think that you have seven children. There's Tommy, and there's Patrick, and there's little Jimmy, and there's Susie, and there's Patricia, and there's Julie, and there's Andrew. So you're going to teach them moderate drinking for the simple reason that's what you want to do. And as you teach them moderate drinking, you are dooming one of those children to a life of hell as an alcoholic. Where is your conscience? Where is your love? Where is your Christianity? I remember years ago when I was a boy going to college, I heard Dr. Scharfenberg speak and he told a story that I cannot get out of my mind. He was visiting a, a great penitentiary here in the United States of America 
And there was a young man who was going to be executed in the electric chair. You know what the boy had done? He killed his mother. Dr. Scharfenberg said, son, tell me what happened. He said, I had been drinking. He came home and my mother was waiting for me and she started to nag me. Why are you home late? You know, you shouldn't be out there and you're drunk. And he said, I couldn't take a nagging anymore. He said, I went into the kitchen and I found a big carving knife. And as my mother was nagging at me, I came to my mother and I stuck it into her stomach. He said, I'm terribly sorry. I killed my mother and I'm going to die in the electric chair. Dr. Scharfenberg said to that young man facing death, son, just for the record, I want you to tell me something. Who gave you your first drink? He said, Dr. Scharfenberg, my mother gave me my first drink. If you've got children, and if you're a moderate drinker, one out of every seven, by the law of averages, is going to become an alcoholic. My mother gave me my first drink. I ask you, where is your love? 40 to 50% of young people who drown die because of drinking. Listen to this. Between 240,000 and 360,000 of the nation's undergraduates this year will eventually die from alcohol. 95% of crime on college campuses is alcohol related. 90% of rapes. Here's a quotation from Scientific American. Nearly one out of five teenagers has experienced blackout spells when they could not remember what happened the previous evening because of binge drinking. More than 60% of college men and almost 50% of college women who are frequent binge drinkers report that they drink and drive. Now, some of you have heard of fetal alcohol syndrome. Now the best parents can have children with defects. And parents who have children with defects should never, never feel guilty. It's not their fault. But if you drink, the odds are it is. Fetal alcohol syndrome, which may occur when pregnant women drink, is the leading cause of mental retardation in the Western world. I appeal to the mothers Love the baby in your womb. Now, a desperate man will grasp at any straw. So doctors have told us moderate drinking is good for the heart. So what we do, doctors and all the rest of you, we're going to ignore all of this here for the benefit That is somewhat debatable. And even if it's not debatable, the evidence suggests that eating black grapes has exactly the same benefit. What shall the alcoholic do? What shall the drinker do? Turn to God and recognize that what you're doing is sin. It is sin against God. The Bible tells me the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Apostle Paul tells me that the power of God is mighty inside the believer. That's Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Any man, whether he is an alcoholic or just a heavy drinker, can receive deliverance through the power of Christ when he confesses his sin and cries out to God, a higher power.
But every person in this church, I'm calling upon you to take a stand against alcohol. It increases your chance of cancer, the esophagus, the mouth, the throat, the voice box. For women, it increases the risk of breast cancer, colon, and rectum cancer. 43% of adults, that's half of us, in the United States have a parent, child, sibling, or spouse who is an alcoholic. Half of us. We've got someone close who's an alcoholic. What a curse. What a demon. What a curse. Forty-three percent of us. Oh, the pain. How can you put the pain on the blackboard? How can you put the suffering? How can you put the tears? Can you write the tears up on the blackboard? Behold the demon in the bottle. What about Jesus turning water into wine? Well, there are two words for wine in the Bible, oinos and ayin. Oinos is the Greek word, ayin, y-a-y-a-n, y-a-y-i-n, is the Hebrew word for wine. These words in themselves do not mean fermented or unfermented. They can be either. Now, words have a way of changing their meaning. If you go to people today and say, tell me what wine is, they will say it is an alcoholic beverage. If you look at a dictionary 50 or 60 years ago, it did not say that. Words have a way of changing. Go back to the days of the Bible. Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, said, oinos, the grape juice, sweet wine. Plutarch from the first century, another famous Greek, said, Wine is rendered old or feeble in strength when it is frequently filtered. The strength being thus excluded, the wine neither inflames the brain nor infects the mind and passions and is much more pleasant to drink. The Greeks said that the bad wine was the wine with the alcohol. And the Greeks said that the good wine was the wine that did not inflame the mind. The Hebrews, this is not known to everybody, the Hebrews had a custom. The Mishnah tells us that the Jews were in habit of using boiled wine. In John chapter 2, there's a story of Jesus, our Lord, turning the water into wine. What the Jews would do, they would take the fresh Grape juice, that is called the fruit of the vine, the gift of God. And they would take the fresh grape juice and they would boil it until it became a thick constituency. And then they would place it in jars and they would seal the jars with tar. Sometimes they would place this thick juice that was preserved by its natural sugars in the skins of animals. And then at a time of a party and particularly a holy feast like a wedding, then they would add water to it. And the best wine was the wine that was the sweetest. Aged wine that was kept in these receptacles in cold water. Something else that I should talk about that could almost be blasphemous. People would teach that our Lord was a drunk. That's because they are or want to be. But what did the wine represent, I ask you? The wine represented the blood of the Savior. The wine at the feast represented the everlasting gospel. In Scripture, intoxication is taken as the symbol of sin. 
when you go to the Passover feast. God said, nothing impure, no leaven, no leaven, nothing intoxicated. Intoxication is the symbol of sin. Sin is not the symbol of the gospel. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave to those people the pure, sweet wine of the grape. On the cross, you know, he refused intoxicating wine. They offered it to him. He said, no, so should you say no. At the very end, they offered him the rough soldier's vinegar that was not intoxicated, and he took it. Now, sincere people and good people and honest people and intellectual people have asked me the question, are there texts that indicate that God's people in the Bible times drank strong drink? I studied them last night until midnight. Are there texts that indicate that God's people in Bible times drank strong drink? I say there are texts in the Bible that indicate that God's people in Bible times practiced polygamy. But most of us have outgrown that notion. Those of us who are wise. In Bible times, there are texts that indicate that the people of God practiced slavery. But I don't see so many people today keeping slaves or keeping harems. Then why should we practice that which is a social disgrace? The evidence is in. The jury has sat. The judge has spoken. The well-dressed criminal in the dock, Mr. Budweiser, whatever his name is, Mr. Vodka, who was dressed beautifully, he is condemned. There's an outrageous, irresponsible lout and monster and home destroyer the greatest terrorist in the history of the world. So, what do I say? I say today in the name of God, down with the demon in the bottle. What shall we do? We should take the pledge. We should vow and pledge that we will never, 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 ever Touch alcohol. My message to you is down, 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 down to damnation with the demon in the bottle. Amen.